But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. That verse I just read was one of my mum's favorite verses. It was one of two verses that she referred to as her life verses. I love how much she loved it. I also think she slightly misinterpreted it. Mum, what she read in this verse, uh, as perhaps you might, is that when St. Paul speaks about forgetting what is behind, he means the sins and the shame of our past. Now, uh, as a gospel precept, that's true, right? Part of the great joy of becoming a Christian is being able to turn away from and forget the sins of our past. That, that's a true foundation of living as a Christian. and That's why my mom cherished it. So that was wonderful. But when we say forget our sins, of course, we don't mean um, forget, like pretend they didn't happen, like try and sort of just block our minds from them. I think if we're speaking in this language, we would mean we want to forget our sinful past the way we would say we want to forget some basketball games. <laughs> Not that we forget that they happened, but that we want to turn away from them and look for better things. That's, of course, at the core of what it means to be converted as a Christian, to turn away from the world of, the, of sin and the world of our flesh and to turn towards Jesus Christ and the life in the Spirit. Um, it's one of the great truths of the gospel. I don't think it's the meaning of Philippians 3, chapter 13. In context, when Paul says, forget what lies behind, here he's actually not referring to sort of the bad stuff that's in our past, what lies behind us in our in our, our sins, our evil past. In Philippians chapter 3, what lies behind actually means the good of our past. Kind of, uh, that, that comes as a surprise to you. It, it, does, it did to me in, in studying in this passage. It makes more sense if you read a few verses ahead in chapter 3 of Philippians. We can see sort of the situation Paul is speaking directly into. There's this group that we uh, are called the Judaizers, troubling the early church, and they're going to Gentile Christians like Philippi, which was predominantly Gentile, and saying, okay, Christians, you're, you worship Jesus, that's great. Now you just also, if you want to be a you know, full bore, you need to get circumcised and follow all the laws of Moses. This was one of the, the, one of the it was actually the first uh, heresy w within the early church. Paul uh, takes on these opponents, and the way he does so is actually by listing in the early verses of chapter 3 his pedigree. Uh, I encourage you, feel free to kind of flip to Philippians in your bulletin, because I'm going to be talking through uh, verse by verse for much of the sermon. In the early verses, just before our lecture, which begins at verse 7, Paul states his pedigree, which would be really impressive to someone who cared about Jewish heritage and keeping up the Jewish rites. He says in verse 4, I wish it was printed, I should have printed it for you. Um, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, right, which circumcision would be, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. The two like top-tier tribes, the ones who sort of stayed the most faithful, more or less, were Judah and Benjamin, right? Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee, which was the strictest interpretation of the law that you could have. 
as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. You could not be more zealous than St. Paul. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. And that's where our reading from this morning picks up with verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So what he's saying to these Judaizers, he's not saying, look, I don't want to bother with like circumcision in the Jewish law because I wouldn't do so well with that stuff. He's saying, look, I got an A plus on that exam. But once I discovered Christ, that's like nothing to me. Actually, not, not just nothing, right? He actually says it's loss, which is worse than nothing. He recalculates the value of his earlier achievements. Before Paul became a Christian, those things he lists were good things. If you were a Jew living sort of before the Christian era, you couldn't be living better than to be a Benjamite and a Pharisee, right? That, these were things to be proud of. But in light of knowing Christ, he says, ah, that's nothing to me anymore. It's, it's, that's actually loss compared to knowing Christ. His inherited Jewish traits, his Jewish pedigree, and all his good works, right? Staying faithful to the law as a Jew was pleasing to the Lord. That's what it says over and over again in the Old Testament, right? It's pleasing to the Lord to, to obey his commandments. But Paul leaves all that in the dirt. Um, so that, you know, there's a, um, it, it's a cheesy source, the movie Avatar, but I like that saying that said, um, you can't fill a cup that's already full, right? He says, no, I want to dump out the cup so that it's free to receive Christ. I think the Holy Spirit speaking through St. Paul, because all of the scriptures were written through God's people then, for God's people then, and for us now. I think the thing the Spirit would have us do is similarly to not put any value on these external things that we've either inherited or, or done ourselves apart from Christ. So whether that's our ethnic origin, like he was proud of his Jewish origin, our family background, right, I'm just tracking with the things that St. Paul sort of disavows, the sorts of upbringing we had, the fact that you have the good fortune of being Southerners or British. <laughs> Southerner by adoption. Um, whatever education you had, or career accomplishments that you've done, whether you have a generally good and stable personality, whether you've done a lot of good deeds towards others and for society. All those things are fine things, right? They're good. But compared to knowing Christ, they're nothing. They're actually, they're, I, I, we should count them loss. We should empty the cup so that our cup is free to receive Christ Jesus. If we, um, if any of those things I listed do stick out as something which you build some of your identity on. It's interesting, we still use the language in the biblical way, the way we seek to be justified before others. Um, we've, we're valuing them too much, and Christ's too little, and we should swap. <coughs> Paul says, verse 7 and 8, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I love that personal touch, my Lord, not just the Lord, my Lord. But actually, St. Paul doesn't stop there, just disavowing his sort of Jewish upbringing. He actually goes further through the course of this passage. He expands on this idea in verses 9 and 11 of chapter 3. Um, that not only do we need to relinquish any sort of 
self-justifications that we have that kind of come just from outward things in order to receive Christ, but that we should be so constantly and consistently fixed on the risen Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus who right now is watching over us, who right now is at the right hand of God the Father, that we should be so fixed on him that we actually don't even pay attention to our Christian accomplishments, the things that we've done in Christ as Christians that are in the past. That to the Christian, the past, our own personal pasts, even all the really good stuff, it's nothing compared to Christ Jesus. We should never be fixed on our accomplishments. We should be fixed on the founder of our faith, the one who actually gets the credit for our accomplishments, right? Because it's his spirit working in us in the first place. We must not seek a righteousness that is ours. That's what Paul's saying. But on him, he is the righteous one, on, on his righteousness, that we would make that our own. Right? That we would make his righteousness our own. The way we do that is by looking to him for his righteousness, not looking to our past and saying, well, yes, I've done all these good things. Aren't I righteous now? Paul says, the righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God that depends on faith. Paul says we must press on to make that our own. I love this language of press on because it's a language of sort of present and future focus and orientation, right? Not looking to what's behind, right? You don't press on into the past, right? You press on into the future because we're always reaching out to receive the righteousness of Christ. So I actually invite you, if you, if, if you believe that I've been bringing forward nothing other than Paul's message in Philippians chapter 3, to think to yourself about what you have accomplished as a Christian, to know what it is that you're actually letting go of. Like Paul lists very clearly the things he lets go of as a Jew, right? His ethnic identity as a Benjamite, uh, his zeal for the law. Think about the things which are in the past, things which are great things. Christian gifts far surpass the gifts of the old covenant, right? To be a Jew, born a Jew, was a, the greatest blessing in the ancient world. To be baptized into Christ Jesus is infinitely richer still. Think about things in the past. Were you baptized? If so, thanks be to God. Did you make an adult profession of faith? Have you received the laying on of hands? Have you received communion? Have you communed a thousand times? Have you been an Anglican your whole life? Have you served in the church? Have you gone on mission trips? Have you given lots of money in the past? Have you beaten, with God's help, a besetting temptation? Have you studied the Bible? Have you denied yourself luxuries? Have you been to Sunday schools? Have you been keeping the Lenten fast in past Lent and this Lent? All those things are great. Right? Those are works of faith inspired by the Holy Spirit, made possible by the mercy of God. They're wonderful. Thanks be to God. If, if in going down that list, you're like, yes, yes, yes. Great. That means God has worked in your life and is working. But if we ever take those things and rest on them and say, well, because I've done that in the past, well, now I can kind of just fold my hands a little and take it easy. <laughs> We're, we would be at odds with the spirit of Philippians chapter 3. I think we'd be at odds with St. Paul, which means to be at, at odds with God, who calls us to forget what lies behind, even the good stuff. Not forget that it happened, but never be sort of fixated on that. Always be fixed, fixated on Christ, our Savior, in the present. Forgetting what lies behind. 
that we would be so um, captivated by wanting to find out what the Lord has for us to do in this present moment, big or small. Maybe the Lord wants me to bear patiently with an illness. Maybe he's calling me to wash some more dishes. <laughs> Maybe he's calling me to invite someone to church for Easter. Maybe he's, who knows what it might be, right? But to be so fixed on the relationship in the present that the past, to leave it, leave it behind, as it says, to leave behind what is past. Because we are not already perfect. We press on to make his righteousness our own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The, um, I just want the tenderest verses in the Bible because he's made me his own. One of the things that we clarified in Sunday school this morning, which I realize I need to more regularly clarify, is that all of the riches of the great tradition, all of the prayer patterns and the liturgies and the disciplines of Lent and all these things, none of these things are things we do in order to be saved. They're things that having been saved by Jesus, we get to do. They're means of grace, meaning means by which we get to invite more of his divine life into our life. So when I'm talking about sort of striving into the present, pressing on, it's not so that we can earn something. It's so that we can actually live into the joy, the benefit of what we've already been freely given. That's why we press on for the present. Not to earn, but because we, we want to enjoy, we want the full cup that the Lord has already said is ours. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. A picture of the resurrection, right? So those are the words, if I can leave you with two words that I, from Philippians chapter 3, that sort of boil it all down. Press on. Press on. Not with the strain of the flesh, not with just, I'm going to try harder, but just letting go of even the great things, accomplishments of the past, and saying, Lord, I want to experience and know your righteousness, your leading in my life, in the present, in the immediate future, so that in the long-term future, I can continue to grow in your son to enjoy his resurrection on the last day. Like, that's the sort of final prize, that upward call at the end. But let those words... Be stuck. Press on. Not by yourself, but with Christ. Right? He's made you his own. Press on by Christ, with him, and in him. Right? That's the doxology of our Eucharist. By him and with him and in him. That's a summary of, what, of how we should press on as a Christian. By him, with him, and in him. Strain forward toward that life and leave behind all that's behind. Sins as well. That's a given. Paul had a lot of sins in his past. And he turned away from those as well. But even the good things, press on. Amen.